The message comes to us today from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so hang in there with me. It has a real good ending. Now, you stood up a long time, and, and as we've asked, please remain standing. But for those that need to sit, please feel comfortable to sit down. Jeremiah 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, at the time of the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall capture the king Zedekiah of Judah, and shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, Behold, Hanamal, the son of Shelem, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field in Antioch, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamal, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field in Antioch, for the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And now I bought the field in Antioch from Hanamal, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions in the open copy and gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Nera, son of Melesh, in the presence of Hanamal, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I charged Barak in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Nera, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You shall show steadfast love to thousands. You repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the children of the man rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day you brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. 
Therefore, you've made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Kaladins who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given to the hands of the Kaladins. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm giving this city into the hands of the Kaladins and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And the Kaladins who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal, drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. The kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They have set up abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They have built high places to Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnon to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. That I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say it is given to the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, by pestilence, behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them, in my anger, in my wrath, and in my indignation, I will bring them back to this place. And I will make them dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good for them, and I will implant them with this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them, Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given to the hands of the Kaladins. Fields shall be bought for money. Deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shebelah, in the cities of Nagab. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. 
This is the blessed word from my Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the reason for reading that uh, lengthy passage of uh, the Word of God is, uh, is that uh, in 2004, I was praying in what would be my office at uh, our current facility. It was two or three in the morning, much like this last Friday when I received a call from Bill Hyatt at 3 a.m. to pray in our 48 hours of prayer for this time and this weekend. As I was uh, praying, God led me that morning to Jeremiah 32, and when he led me there, I realized that he had a word for me too, and indeed a word that I, as the pastor of this very young congregation then, needed to hear. I took a piece of paper, I took a pen, and I began to write. And I wrote down on that piece of paper, which I have with me this morning, those things that I was convinced God gave me. I want to share some of them with you. I have kept this paper close. I have read it on dark and difficult days. I have read it on exciting and wonderful days. It is entitled, Promises God Gave Me. On April 5th, 2004, while praying at 2 a.m., the day before we moved into our then new building. Nothing is too difficult for me, God said. I will show loving kindness to thousands. I will reward you according to your deeds and ways. I, God said, will make a name for myself. What I speak will come to pass I will make them dwell together in safety. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will give you one heart. I will give you one way. You will fear me always. I will not turn away from you. I will rejoice over you. I will put my fear in your hearts. I will plant you faithfully in this land. I will bring the good that I promise. I will prosper you in times of distress. I will restore your fortunes. I will restore your commerce. And then there's one that hits my heart more than any other. I will gather back those who have sinned. I will gather back those who have sinned. We have seen God in these years do just that. Many of you sit here this morning and 20 years ago you were far from God. You were nowhere where you ought to be and God in His grace came stepping into your world sometime in the last 20 years and arrested your soul and drew you to Himself and caused you to be born again to a living hope and raised you up and seated you with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are here this morning because of what God has done. Amen? 
You sit here, I stand here because of his grace. And here we look into this Jeremiah 32 and we see a collision. We are going to look at three of them this morning. The first is what happens when God's character and your circumstances collide. You see, Jeremiah is the prophet. He's God's man, but he is in prison because Zedekiah, who is king, is not happy with him at all. Jeremiah says things Zedekiah doesn't want to hear. And since he says those things, Zedekiah locks him up. He receives a word from the Lord while he is in prison, and he knows he has been prophesying that Nebuchadnezzar, this kingdom that if you look at history, was raised up just for a narrow period of time. Scholars are amazed at how short-lived the, 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 the first Babylonian kingdom was. Raised up for a short time. Jeremiah said they're coming in and they're going to destroy this beloved city, Jerusalem. Zedekiah didn't like it, locks him up. And as Jeremiah is in there, a word of the Lord comes to him and says, buy a piece of land. What? Buy a piece of land that will soon belong to Nebuchadnezzar. That makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. What did Jeremiah do? He bought the land. He was obedient. Verse 9 says, matter-of-factly, and I bought the field. Before I arrived at Grace, Grace was looking for a place. Meeting down in the attic, you'll see a video later. Meeting down in the attic, Grace was looking for a place. I wasn't here to see this happen. But Grace needed land. And in this county, that can be hard to come by. So the look had been ongoing as I'm told this story. And one Sunday, I think after the morning service, they gathered around the land team. Lamar Silver headed that team up and they gathered around the team and they said, we will pray. And we will pray that God provides land. And they did. And the land that where Grace is now wasn't even available for sale. The very next week, conversation between Lamar and Jerry Paget, and that land all of a sudden is available. A young, fledgling congregation, not loads of money. The price was steep presented to the congregation. But by the time it came time for purchase, the price had dropped by a third. No particular reason, but Jerry lowered the price. And that early group of people paid cash for that first three and a half acres of land. Amazing how God provided what is interesting is when I later came on board and got the demographic study, I discovered that the piece of land that you have purchased was in driving distance in this county of 80% of the people. It was within 10 miles of 80% of the people in this county. It couldn't be more centrally located. 20 years later, 
we have a crew of people who drive from Black Mountain. If we were in Marion, they wouldn't do that. We have a crew of people who drive down now the hill from Mitchell County, just down and right on 70, and here they are. We have a crew who drives up 221 and up the bypass just turns left and comes into where this land is. God indeed in difficult days provided. Jeremiah continues and says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. I want to say to you, and I've heard this from some of the folks who were here in the early days, you look at this now, and this was nowhere on their radar. This was not. It was day to day, week to week. Oh God, what are you going to do next? God, will you meet this need? God, will you provide this? God, who's going to speak Sunday? It was those kinds of things. The things you now enjoy did not exist at that time. And so there was an element of faith that is still running deep through this church today. That where God guides, He provides. And that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And God will have His way and do His work however He wills. And that came early on in the life of this place. Jeremiah bought the land, but he was struggling. He didn't deserve what was happening to Judah. He, he was not at fault. He was God's voice, but he is in prison. So what do you do? What do you do when you've lost your job and it isn't your fault? What do you do when the, the diagnosis comes in and it isn't anything you had ever on your mind that would come your way? Verse 17, this is what you do. Ah, oh, Jeremiah says, sitting in prison, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. When you don't understand what God's doing now, remember what he's done in the past. When you don't understand what God is doing now in your life, remember what he's done in the past. Jeremiah continues, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt to fathers, to their children after them. Oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man. Rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Not only does Jeremiah remember God's great work as creator, Jeremiah, Jeremiah remembers God's name. You see, his prayer goes back to Exodus when Moses was waiting on God and the Lord descended in the cloud in Exodus, and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation, I would say to you, when God's actions don't make sense, 
remember his ways. When God's actions don't make sense, remember his ways. I remember early on, first church I ever pastored, I have ever pastored is here. And uh, wow, the mistakes at times seem to outnumber the successes for me. But something came out of left field, and I was sitting in my office when it did and when I heard it. And I remember just getting up out of my office that day, and Wendy and I lived in a little double-wide trailer. And I got in my uh, truck, and I drove uh, uh, to Old Fort to that little double-wide trailer. And I remember going in, and nobody was home. And I found the back corner bedroom, and I found the most corner spot I could find in that bedroom and I got down on my knees and I poured my heart out to God and I said God you called me here you called me to pastor these people and I am facing something I don't know what to do about I do not know how to handle this and I wept and I poured out my heart to God that day in the corner of that bedroom begging God to work Begging him to move. I'm going to say to you, there will be times when God's actions don't make sense, but his ways are always good. His ways are always good. Notice the name for God that appears three times in this passage. It is Lord of hosts. Now, there are all kinds of names for God in the Old Testament. Jeremiah should know probably every one of them. Why does he choose this? Lord of hosts literally means God of armies. Jeremiah sitting in prison. The Nebuchadnezzar is marching in. He is praying to the God of armies. Even Nebuchadnezzar's. You see in Jeremiah the ups and the downs, the roller coasters. Look at this. He doubts again. Verse 35, yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses. Though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. How many of you pray, get up here, and within 30 minutes are down here again? That's Jeremiah. If you're there, you're in good company. If your prayer lifts you and seems to drop you just as quickly, if you pray and it seems the bars leave from your prison, but when you open the eyes, you see the bars again, well, Jeremiah knows how you feel. If you pray and it seems that your circumstances kind of fade away, but when you get back into the rhythm of life, they come back, Jeremiah can say, been there. What happens When God's character and your circumstances collide, well, you trust what he's done and you trust his ways. But what happens when God's character and your sin collide? Notice how God answers Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I love God. I really do. And he has a sense of humor. You say, how do you know? What did Jeremiah just said to God? Nothing is what? Too hard for you. And now Jeremiah's down again. And what does God say back to Jeremiah? Do you remember what you just said to me? Nothing's too hard for me. God goes on and he doesn't mince words. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am given this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He'll capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against the city shall come and set the city on fire and burn it. Why would God do such a thing? He lists their sins. His character had collided with their sin, and the collision was ugly. They made offerings to other gods on the roofs of their houses. They turned to me their back, God says, not their face. They have disgraced the temple. See, Neil Strait says, sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly. Until all that is high is made low. Until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It is drained of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin, then, is not wise but wasteful. It is not a gate but only a grave. It was back in the early days of this church that a young man came. He moved here to work, and I share his story with his permission. He moved here to work. He would be here only for a season, but he found grace uh, community church during that season. He was in his early 20s, and it was clear he had a bright future and could make a lot of money. And that he did while he was here. And then he moved away. That was 15 years ago, and I never heard from him until five months ago. Out of the blue, he reaches out to me, somehow found my contact, living in another country, making a lot of money remarkably successful. I'm wondering, why are you reaching out to me? What is it that you need? What is it that you want? I haven't heard from you in so long, so why now? By this time, he's married, has a child, and the story begins to unfold as they often do, like layers of an onion that you think are peeled, and then there's another, and there's another. And as the onion began to peel, I discovered that this man, over the course of those years, having grown up knowing the Lord, had nourished an addiction to sex that had wrecked his life. In the last five months, his wife has left him to move thousands of miles away with their child. He has been at the point of despair. His sin problem with sex has led him some weekends to be with one woman on Saturday night, two women on Sunday night, two different women on Monday night and to call me on Tuesday morning ready to end his life. Sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. I can say to you today that this young man now lives back in the States. 
is back where he needs to be with God. Has been clean, you might say, for several weeks. Is getting help. And is, is in worship this morning somewhere. How far did they go? There are multiple things listed, but the worst is that they offered their firstborn babies to a god named Molech. The statue for Molech was a large bronze, silver, gold, made out of some metal statue. It had within its abdomen a hole The arms of the statue went out like ramps going up to the hole. And when Israel adopted this foreign practice, they would take their babies, their firstborn babies, to this statue, place that baby in that hole or in the arms of that uh, uh, God, set fire around that statue, begin to beat the drums so they they would not hear their baby screaming as that baby screamed to its death. That's how far they went. Sin will take you farther than you intended to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. I would say to you this morning, for 20 years, by the grace of God, I, as an imperfect man, have stood in front of you and declared to you with boldness and with love that sin is awful. It will wreck your life. You'd better get out. You'd better run. If you're dabbling in it today, you will be drowning in it tomorrow. You cannot, you cannot sink into the quagmire of sin and think for a moment you'll pull yourself out. You must be rescued. You must be rescued. What happens when God's character and your sin collide is ugly. But what happens when God's character and your repentance collide. Nebuchadnezzar came storming in, burned the city, and utterly destroyed it. Jeremiah, sometime during that time, is carried off to Egypt against his will. He's brought back eventually. Wow, Jeremiah. And God says some things to him. That's why the title of the sermon is called The God of I Will. Behold, he says, which means to look and see, very simply. Behold, I will do what? I will gather them. I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. I will put the fear of me in their hearts. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them faithfully in the land. Who? Who will he do that for? Child sacrificers. And you thought your case was too hard for him? You thought you had gone too far? 
The profound truth spoken from God to them and by extension to us is this. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing this to, do, to doing good to them. Now that word make here doesn't mean make like you and I would think. It means to cut. He says I will cut a covenant. And that word is huge. Why is that word so important? At this point in Israel's history, though the book of Jeremiah isn't the last book in the Bible, it's written toward the end of the Old Testament. He says, I will cut an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them, implying that maybe God had turned away from them before. Had he? Deuteronomy, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and what? Turn away. But God says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant and I'll never turn away from you again. How? So there are only two possibilities. If God is never going to turn away again, there are only two possibilities. One, he's going to become okay with sin. Sin is okay now. So God's going to be good with your sin. Do anything you want, any way you want. Or it is going to be because he does something about your sin. There are only two possibilities. He's either good with it or he does something about it. So what is it that he did about your sin? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the only sinless one, the Lamb of God, God in human flesh. And God promises he will not walk away from you because Jesus already walked through your sin. God will not walk away from you because on the cross, Jesus died taking all of your sins that you ever did. My friend who's now back in North Carolina, God took all of those nights and all of that sin on himself in Jesus Christ and took them on himself. And God says, I'll never walk away from you. Jesus took your sin on himself. And God does nothing halfway. Look at verse 41. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with some of my heart and some of my soul. Is that how it reads? What is the word, class? What does it say? Oh, that's so weak. What is it? All my heart and all my soul. All of God's heart and all of God's soul were on the cross when Jesus died. He left nothing out, left nothing behind. He didn't send an angel to rescue us. He didn't send a prophet to preach to us. He didn't send an army to destroy our sin a thousand times, no. He sent his one and only son. He sent the apple of his eye. He sent the son of his love. He sent the joy of his fatherhood. He sent his eternal son, his for all time companion. He sent Jesus for you. For you. You say, what do I do? Well, if he responds to you with all his heart and all his soul, you respond to him with all your heart and all your soul. There is no other way. God does nothing halfway and you cannot respond halfway. 
You either come with all of yourself or you don't come at all. You either come with your sin, your selfishness, your awfulness, admitting it fully and done with it wholly, or you stay where you are. Then and only then will you live. What does God say? Fields will be bought. Deeds will be signed and sealed. I will restore their fortunes. In other words, you'll live again. How many of you are living again this morning? Yes. You're living again. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. You'll enjoy life. Would you join me in celebrating others who are now living again? You'll see some cardboard and some testimonies.